As I have been reading this scripture, 1 Peter, that's the series that we're in, and preparing tonight um, and thinking about the baptisms and kind of thinking about the state of the world that we find ourselves in, I have really wrestled with this word. Um, I have been more and more convinced that we are a society in desperate need of spiritual moms and dads. We have great advisors, we have great mentors, we have great pundits. Um, we don't need more information, we need more wisdom. We need guides. Um, I was laughing with Charles and we were talking about all the people that we know in movies and stuff who had people who led the way for them. You know, Daniel San had Mr. Miyagi, right? Um, Harry Potter had Dumbledore, anybody? <laughs> all right, okay, and Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan. That's right. That's right. All my old heads holla back at me. <laughs> um, we need testimonies that act as roadmaps of hope for us. What do I mean by roadmaps of hope? A lot of us don't look like what we've been through. Amen? Thanks be to God. <laughs> it is the grace of God that we don't look like what we've been through. Amen. Amen. But I think we've been largely silent about testifying to how the goodness of God has led us through loss, disappointment, grief, and suffering. But as I've read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, I see God graciously give us a roadmap of hope. I believe God has called me tonight to be the spiritual mom, auntie, that equips the saints. So I'm titling my message tonight, Fireproof, A Guide to Surviving the Trials of Life. So would you join me in standing and let's read the scripture together. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 ESV says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. God, thank you. It's not lost on me tonight that we've gathered in your name. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. We sense revival stirring up. But God, you are calling us to holiness. You're calling us to bend our knees, bend our wills, and bend our hearts to you, Jesus. Help us believe you, Lord. Lord, where there is sin, would you convict us? Where we've fallen asleep in our faith, would you wake us up? Would you use your gospel to remind us that there is always hope yes. because of Jesus? Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right. So when I was in eighth grade, on the cusp of my ninth grade year, um, we moved into a new house in a new neighborhood. And with that move, um, I changed schools. So I was going to a new school now. If you know anything about me, you know I love to sleep. Um, one of my favorite things is falling asleep on long car rides. One of my friends is here tonight. I am 
the quintessential passenger princess. <laughs> I hear you, period, okay? Um, when I'm not driving, I'm waking up just in time uh, to wherever we're headed. I don't know what it is about long car rides, but they give you the best sleep to me. Yeah, that's right. I don't, <laughs> um, and so on this bus ride in my new school, my new neighborhood, I fall asleep. You already know. Except this bus ride is different. I wasn't headed to my old home. So I woke up suddenly at a stop, looked around and noticed I was among the last students that were about to get off the bus. So I hurriedly got all of my things and I jumped off the bus too, only to find that I had no idea where I was. This wasn't my old neighborhood. These weren't my old friends. I had never been this way before. The landscape had changed. Nothing looked familiar. I walked and I walked and I even followed some of the kids, um, and, but nothing looked familiar still. That's when my heart sank and I realized I was lost. I had no idea how to get myself out of where I found myself. And now this is before um, everybody had cell phones. I know, I'm that old, yes. Um, so I couldn't call my mom to like come save me. So the fear, the, the feeling of sheer terror and panic began to set in and then worry and then all of a sudden your brain comes up with all the craziest scenarios. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna get kidnapped, I'm gonna have to sleep outside tonight. So at this point my anxiety is through the roof and I'm sobbing and I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm completely overwhelmed and I'm undone. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been disoriented? Have you ever been unsettled before? I can imagine for a lot of us, 2020 and maybe even into 2023, it's been disorienting, right? Fear, sickness, dread, changing of everything. And I can imagine that this is where the believers in 1 Peter found themselves as well. Overwhelmed, panicked, realizing this faith they had given their entire lives to that they thought would free them, they were actually experiencing suffering because of. Maybe that's where you find yourself tonight. Darby in the worship set said, said, maybe you're in a dark night. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're disappointed in something. I heard a pastor say this once. He said, there's three groups of people you find always in a church. The first group are those that are coming out of a trial. The second group are those in a trial right now. And the third group are those about to enter into a trial and have no idea. But I have good news for us tonight. It's not all doom and gloom. Jesus said we would face these trials and tribulations, did he not? But he also said that he had already overcome it. So whenever we face trials and troubles, we can live in the word of God and it is our lifeline. And so I see in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, Peter lays out four tools that will help you navigate through trials well. So if you're taking notes tonight, I'm going to list them out really quick and then I'm going to go point by point. So tool number one is get your mind right. Tool number two is set your sights on hope. Tool number three is pay attention to what you're being shaped by. 
Tool number four, be holy. So let's start at the top. Verse 13a says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Now, when Peter wrote this verse in the King James Version, it says, therefore, gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. Just stop. (laughs) Gird up the loins of your mind, which is very visual. But he was talking to a society that wore togas. So anywhere that they were getting ready to go, if they wanted to go fast, they would get tripped up over their clothing. So they had to pull it up and gird it up. We need to deal with the things that could trip us up and slow us down. There are things in your mind, mindsets, perspectives, maybe even traumas that is slowing you down and tripping you up. Um, I went to the gym a couple of weeks ago. Um, I haven't been back, but... Me and the gym have an on-again, off-again love affair going on. You know, I'm trying to be on again, but, you know, we're off again right now. But when I went, um, it was conditioning day, core conditioning day, which is a terrible thing to go to when you haven't been in the gym for a long time. Everything, I was a mess, completely a mess. I was tired. Everything was way harder than it used to be when I was actually consistently going to the gym. Um, so we're, we got through our, our warm-up, and I'm like, oh my God, that was just the warm-up. There's still 45 minutes left to go of this exercise. Um, and it's time to do my least favorite thing, full burpees. Wow. Let's not get it. And when I tell you, I, <laughs> I hit the ground, and I laid there. And I love my gym um, because they are, it's just... Uh, really great. But my coach, she sees me and I'm like on the verge of crying because I'm like, I cannot do this. Um, She gets down next to me and she says, Miata. And I was like, oh God, she said my name like my mom says my name. Um, She said, get your head in the game. You are stronger than you know and much stronger than you think you are right now. All you have to do is one. Now, she lied because I had to do 15. <laughs> I had to do 15. But she did, it, she did it with me side by side. And it didn't make the burpees easier, but it did give me a new perspective and strength to endure. That's what getting your mind right is about. Get your head in the game. Too many times, loss and disappointment and grief disorients us. And we have no idea where we're going. We're almost in a fog. But I want to be like the Holy Spirit tonight and say, get your head in the game. Come back. Your body goes where your mind tells it to. So if your mind is out, there goes your body. You've already lost the war before you even began. It's why the word says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not going to be renewed just by going to church, which that is a part of it, but you're going to be renewed by the transformation that takes place when the word of God starts remaking your habits and your thought processes and your tendencies and your perspectives. Get your head in the game. The second tool is set your sights on hope. 
Verse 13b says this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Real hope is a radical act in a generation that majors in cynicism masking as critical thinking. Here's the thing, hope is not blind optimism. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I love how the message version says it. It says it this way. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It is our handle on what we cannot see. The fact, the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Real hope is rooted in this truth. That Jesus still saves. That he's still on the throne. That he's never been shaken. That he's never been upset. That he's not overwhelmed. That he's not confused. This is the revelation of Christ. The incorruptible revelation that has lasted generation upon generation. People have tried to stomp it out. They've tried to kill the gospel and yet it remains. So confession time, I am the person who will Google what happens in a show as I'm watching it. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, Me and my friends are watching The Summer I Turn Pretty right now. Yes, who else is watching? Okay, yeah, okay, homies. All right, we can talk about it after um, the sermon. But seriously, it's all about teenage angst and drama and cliffhangers. And I was like, I need to know what happens. Like, this is too much. Um, So I knew that it was based on three books and that this season was on book three. And so I read book three. This season was based on book two, so I read book three in two days. Um, Yes. So the drama is still real. The episodes are still a mess. The characters are still confused. But there is this relief that I have watching because the next episodes, because I know what happens in the end. Peter is writing this letter and saying, guys, get your head in the game. Set your sights on hope because we know how the story ends. We don't lose. We don't lose. We win. So if there has not been victory yet, there will be victory. All right. Okay. What I love about the word of God is when you spend time with Jesus, he tunes your heart to hear his heart. So you don't follow a false shepherd. And we have to do this every single day because there's false shepherds that show up every single morning trying to tell you a different way to live, trying to convince you that you're going to die in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Um, You know, I did youth ministry for a lot of years, um, HB, uh, and (laughs) I know we're not there anymore, but I still, you know, I still feel like I'm in it. And one thing that I noticed about our youth is that they don't have any history, right? All they know is what they know now. They have no perspective, They have no um, resources emotionally yet. They're developing it. And so their only hope is the testimony of me or their leader to say, I've been there. You're not going to die. I know it feels overwhelming. I know it feels like your life is over, but it's not. I've lived through it. 
And I haven't just lived through it, I've thrived on the other end of it. And they can only trust my word. This is why we have to be in the Bible every single day. Because if you're following a false shepherd, you're going to be led to death. But if you're following the right shepherd, the only shepherd, you will have the good shepherd. That's right. You will have the words of life. You know, for a Christian, um, our hope, of course, is in heaven. But I think that that's the bare minimum hope. I think there's more hope that God has for us. I think there's hope for today. I think there's a witness that we have for today. I think there's victory that we can have today. We don't have to be those people who are escapist Christians. Because escapist Christians don't believe that victory, God has victory today. Tool number three, pay attention to what you're being shaped by. Verse 14, 1 Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. This is spiritual formation. This is what we're doing tonight. This is why we're in small groups. This is why we're in one-to-one discipleship things. Spiritual formation is about becoming like Jesus. And it takes intentionality to be formed in the way we ought to be. I think we are kidding ourselves if we think that we aren't being shaped every day by something. I love watching HGD TV shows and I follow a lot of like DIY warriors, they call themselves. Um, And one of my favorites, she's making these decorative bowls and she's pouring concrete into them. And what you realize is that concrete takes the form of whatever shape it finds itself in. What are you pouring your life into every single day? Because that's what's shaping you. Pay attention to what is shaping you. Do you have intentional forms? Do you have a Sabbath? Do you have a devotional that you're going through? Do you, are you doing scripture memorization? These are forms. Are you in a small group? Are you tithing? I refuse to be formed by the culture or my own desires. I don't want to do what feels right. I want to do what is right. But the only way I know what is right is because I'm being formed by the word of God. So pour your days into something that will intentionally form you into the image of God. Tool number four, be holy. Holy seems like um, a word that comes with a little bit of baggage, right? If you think about it, you may, you may have your own preconceived notions of what holy is. You might see the person who has all the button-ups, is very serious, doesn't smile, doesn't have any fun, um, you know, big killjoy, but you could also see holy and there's fear attached to it, rightfully so, because God is holy. But I've been reading through Revelations with one of my um, discipleship girlies, and we read the letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, these letters are wild and crazy, but what I'm encouraged about is that God is kind, that he's merciful, and that he gives us a roadmap to come back to him. But what you see in the church of Smyrna is that he says to them, he corrects them, um, and says, you look holy but you're not really holy. 
You're disconnected from the vine. And I had this picture as we were talking about it of my aunt has this um, fake fruit bowl on her island. Uh, and it looks so real that every single time all of us are trying to grab for it. But what you realize is that it has no nutritional value. It's fake. Every fruit that's unattached from the vine is dying. You need to be attached to the vine. When I read Isaiah 6, it's, it's beautiful. But the closer you get to God, the more you see yourself clearly. That you're different. That you're not like him. God is holy. He's altogether set apart. He's altogether different. He's not like us. His motivations are not like us. Um, he's not self-protecting. He's not abusive. He doesn't think the way that we think. He isn't motivated by what we're motivated. He's not overwhelmed. He's not uninformed. He's not cut off guard. He's not stressed. He's not pressed. But the only way we can be like that is to stay connected. It's the only way. We do not have holiness on our own. Our holiness is predicated on his holiness. And it's sustained by his holiness. And this is what we're called to bear witness to in our lives. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, and why? Because our world is dying. Our world is confused. Our world has no hope. So what better light posts than us to point to Jesus? I wanna finish the story that I told at the beginning because um, I think it's appropriate. I was lost, I was crying, I was sobbing, and a neighbor that I only briefly knew saw me because he was walking his dog and he came over and he was like trepidatious because he knew like I was going to freak out and he's like hey I know your mom and I know the way home follow me and so I followed him you know safe distance because I was like he could kidnap me um, <laughs> but I followed him and I made my way home into my mother's arms and we cried together uh, but what that story um, reminds me of as I was reading this is that we need to follow Jesus. The only way we will survive trials and tribulations with our faith intact is to follow the one who knows the way home. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. He's the one. Thank you, Jesus. So what am I saying tonight? <clears throat> I know what it's like to be under the crippling weight of grief. My dad passed away, and these are not tears of sorrow. These are tears of joy because I love him, okay? My dad passed away eight years ago. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know that it feels like you're going to die. Grief is unrelenting. But what I do know is that because I had these tools in place, yeah. 
I don't look like what I've been through. You can't smell smoke on my life. And that's what I want for every one of you guys in this room. I want you to come through the fires of grief and disappointment and loss and suffering, not smelling like what you've been through. And this is the way. So my hope is that you heard the Holy Spirit helped you to hear these words, that he wrote them on your heart, that if you are in the midst of a trial, that we can stand with you and believe God with you. But I encourage you to set your sights on hope. I encourage you to get your head in the game. I encourage you to be shaped by a small group, by the word of God, by tithing, by coming to church. Don't let your life be shaped by isolation. And I encourage you to be holy. Stay connected to Jesus. Amen. Can we pray? So God, I thank you so much for your word to us tonight. I thank you that we we have hope in you. God, that we can make it through because you've given us a roadmap of hope. That you've given us tools that will let us keep our soul in the midst of life's trials. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, tonight? I don't know where anybody finds themselves in this room, whether you're coming out of a trial, whether you are in a trial right now, or whether you are about to be in a trial. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and comfort you, that he would come right now, that he would strengthen you, that he would speak his words of life upon you, that he would give you grace. And in those moments where you feel like you don't have the strength, that he would carry you. Jesus, I thank you for um, all that you're doing in our church, God, that you're leading us to yourself, that, that you're leading us to um, a river of living water that is found in you. It never runs dry. So God, would you um, keep us, would you hold us near? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive you tonight? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Love ya.